we're starting a new series called Christmas Impossible. And I don't know what you think about when you hear the word impossible, but I think of a lot of things, like the Chiefs winning a Super Bowl. I'm sorry, that was a little... <laughs> am I still... Am I on? Can you hear me? Hello? All right, we got it. It's not loud. All right. So anyways, um, no, I'm just joking. No, not really. Well, kind of, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I could say impossible would be the Broncos winning the Super Bowl this year. I I can affirm you of that. So uh, so we're, we're on that page. But I want you to think about this. Christmas impossible is going to be looking at the impossible and see how God makes those impossible things possible. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter one. We're going to be in Luke chapter one and two predominantly for the, the rest of this month as we look into it. Um, but I, I want to say this. When we say things are impossible, we mean it just simply that it just can't be done. If you were to say something is impossible, you're in reality going to be looking and going, hey, hey, it's impossible. It can't be done. When it comes to the big picture idea of things being impossible, it would be unimaginable to happen or to even exist. It would be preposterous. It would be unimaginable, unthinkable, or in the words of Vizini from uh, Princess Bride, it would be inconceivable if you've ever seen it. That's what you come to think about when you think about being impossible. Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, and I stand by that. And if you're a Grinch, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to get over it, all right? But I love to decorate for Christmas to a certain extent, as long as it's not windy and cold. That's why this year, when it was like 65 degrees out one day, I went out and I put up all our lights on my house, all right, before Thanksgiving. Now, I didn't turn them on except for accidentally, and I think I said this last week, I accidentally left them on. Sarah came home one night. She's like, uh, is this something new? Because the Christmas lights are on. And I went, oh, because I had them on while I was putting them up, making sure they're all working and stuff. I won't be like Clark Griswold and go to plug them in and they're not working. I mean, we're not, we're not going to go down that road. So I get them all up. I leave them on. Uh, once, Christmas, or once Thanksgiving's over, they, they come on and they turn on. But Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. And if you think about that, maybe it drives you nuts hearing Christmas music. I have no clue. But in my mind, when I think about Christmas, I think about how God took the impossible and made it possible. God took what was unrighteous and he made it righteous through the sending of his son. God took what was unredeemable at the time and he redeemed it through his son. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the story of Christmas, but I want you to think about this. Christmas is best seen through the eyes of impossibility. As a kid, one of my favorite things to do was to go get the J.C. Penney's or Sears catalog and find the most impossible gift I knew I would never get and ask for it. And you know what was funny? I never got it. (laughs) So not the impossibility or impossibility of that. And I think it's always a great thing. You know, one of the things that's frustrated me this year so far is every day Ethan has come down and gone, Dad, can I open a present? No. Why not? Because it's not Christmas. And I said something to Sarah the other day. I'm like, I'm about to kill the kid if he doesn't quit asking. She's like, he's excited. And I'm like, I don't care if he's excited or not. He's not going to open a present early. And it's driving me nuts. And she goes, do you remember when you were a kid? How excited you were? And I was like, oh, darn it. 
<laughs> you know, and, and so it's just things like that. But Christmas is best seen through the eyes of impossibility and wonder at the greatness and sovereignty of God. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. And as you're marking Luke chapter 1, we're actually going to be in verses 26 and following, but I want to give you some highlights of what's going to happen or what happens here. Luke writes the gospel of Luke from his perspective and what he's seen, what he's experienced, uh, everything he's investigated out. And in verse 3, he says this, therefore, since I myself have carefully what? investigated everything from the beginning. It seemed good also for me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So Luke writes the gospel of Luke and he writes it to Theophilus, the guy back in the day that he's saying, hey, look, I've, I've searched all this out. And then Luke later writes the book of Acts. But listen to what he says in verse four. And this is what I love about Luke. All right, he says, I've, I've, I've written this orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that what? You may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. All right? Here's the reality. Here's the truth. Here's the struggle. A lot of times at Christmas, we've been taught the truth of the impossible nature of God in sending his son, Jesus Christ, born in a manger, born to a virgin, supernatural, overcoming, impossible you have known the certainty of that or you have known the story of that, but what I want you to understand today is this, that it is certain that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. For many in today's world, what we've oftentimes overcome or become is a Christmas-driven society. And I understand why some people are Grinches over Christmas because Christmas is more or less a marketable American holiday. I mean, honestly, when I went in right before Halloween to Lowe's and saw Christmas stuff up, I went, it's not even November. And they had their Christmas trees out and they had the Christmas yard decorations out. And I'm like, what is your problem? We, we, like, we haven't even gone trick-or-treating yet. We haven't had Thanksgiving yet, and you're already trying to sell things. And so I understand the frustration of what takes place oftentimes in the American cultural mindset of Christianity. But here's what I want you to remember. You can have certainty in the midst of impossibility. There is a certainty in the midst of impossibility. As a matter of fact, I would want you to think about it in this way. If God is God and God is who he says he is. You can have certainty in the impossibility because God takes what is impossible in, my, in man's mind, impossible in man's ability, and he says, I can make it possible. Why? Because I'm God and you're not. And so in Christmas, in the midst of Christmas impossible, God's gonna say, look, in the midst of the impossible, I am going to make everything possible. In the midst of the impossible, in other words, your death and destruction and sin, I'm going to make possible life and liberty and the pursuit of, get this, joy and faith in Christ. So God takes what is impossible and makes it possible. And as we dig into this, there's a certainty because certainty is what we all desire, is it not? I mean, in reality, most of us ask this question, well, if I knew for sure, if I could just sit down and talk to God, anybody ever been that way? If I could just sit down and have a conversation, or if God would just show himself in some big way, some sign, some, some you know, billboard going down the highway, like, hey, look, flashing lights and everything, it's me. 
It's, I'm here. But that in reality is exactly what he does in sending Jesus in the way he sent Jesus. He gives us the greatest sign, the impossible sign, the sign that says, well, hey, you look at it as an impossibility and I look at it as a possible thing. And so we're going to dig into Luke chapter 1 and see what all he says. But the message in Jesus' birth is meant to bring certainty in uncertain times. So in the midst of not getting my Sears or JCPenney gift catalog request, whatever that was, I remember one was a big race car track. You guys remember the race cars? Little button. They go real fast. Every boy's dream. Every parent's nightmare. I remember asking for like the most expensive one. I remember, I remember it was like 200 and some dollars. Awesome track. Never got it. In the midst of uncertain times, the certainty we can have is in the gift of Jesus Christ. See, it's meant to embolden our faith and to teach us the truth of God's power and the extent of God's love. So remember that. The message in Jesus' birth is meant to bring certainty in uncertain times. It's meant to embolden our faith, to teach us the truth of God's power and the extent of God's love. And so if you remember anything, I want you to remember this. Here's the big statement for today, the primary point, the main idea. God works to make what is impossible with man only possible with God. God works to make what is impossible with man only possible with God. So as you're looking at Luke, we're going to read verses 26 and following. But as you do that, I want to give you a heads up. Before we do that, I want to give you a heads up of what's going on. So the angel Gabriel shows up to a man named Zechariah, who's a, a priest, whose wife Elizabeth is, is in the, the lineage of Aaron. In other words, she's a descendant of Aaron, the high priest, the brother of Moses. And Gabriel shows up while Zechariah is in, in the temple. And that while he's in there meeting with God, Gabriel shows up and Gabriel says, hey, guess what? You're going to have a son. And not just the, or sorry, you're, you're, yeah, you're going to have a son. And not just the fact that they're going to have a son, but you have to understand what's going on. They're old. Now, don't take this wrong. They're, they're, like, they're like beyond old. As a matter of fact, it says that, uh, uh, let me find this here where it's at. It says she was well along in years. And if she's well along in years, most likely he's even further along in years because back in that custom, guys tended to marry younger women, all right? Because part of the thing was 12, 13, 14 years old, they were considered an adult. It's called a bar mitzvah, a bat mitzvah. If you study any Jewish history, once they were an adult, they were now legal age to marry back in, the, back in that day. So you're talking younger, all right? But listen to what it says again in verse 18. Zechariah asks the angel, how can this be? How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years too. She had been barren. She'd been unable to bear a child. Zechariah asked the question. And the reality is this. Zechariah is asking for a sign like, oh, all right. You're gonna have to prove it. And in the end, Gabriel ends up doing this. All right, guess what? Because of your unbelief, you're gonna be silent. You're not gonna be able to speak until your baby's born. And he lays this impossible thing out. And, and, and the beauty of this, this story that goes along is, in verse 17, it says, he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So in the midst of the impossible, God does something possible only through God by letting John the Baptist eventually be born to Zachariah and Elizabeth. 
all right? But in the same sense of what's going on, he shows up, Gabriel shows up to, to Zechariah, but then follow him with me in verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, all right? A town in Galilee, which if you know anything about Galilee, nothing good came from Galilee. Galilee was kind of like, no offense, don't take this wrong, but everybody I run into, the minute I tell them we're from Independence, they're like, oh, Independence. That's like the armpit of Kansas City. That's what I've been told. That's literally what people say. So in your mind, all right, all you independence people, you know what I'm talking about. In your mind, when somebody says there's nothing good that comes from Galilee, if you're from Kansas City, but you live in independence and you know everybody else's attitude towards independence, Mary was from independence. I'm just putting that in your mind, all right? Verse 27, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at the words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But Gabriel, the angel, said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You notice this. He says, number one, you're highly favored. Now, Mary, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will be with child, and you will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, for his kingdom will never end. And then I love Mary's question. Because Mary doesn't ask for proof. She's just like, wait a second. That's impossible. How is this going to be? How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Mary's asking the same question that every other woman would be going, wait a second. How can I bear a child? I ain't been with anybody. I ain't done anything. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm righteous. I have I've saved myself for my future husband. And I love what the angel says. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. And then verse 37, for nothing is what? Impossible with God. I want you to think about that because we have to remember that God works to make what is impossible with man only possible with God. So here's my question for today. How does God work? How does God work in the midst of what we see in, in, in Luke chapter one here? How does he work in the midst of the people he's used? How does God work in, in, in the lives of the people and everything else? So number one, God works in mysterious but magnificent ways. Look at what he does. First, he shows up. And I love how it says, the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah. All right? Think about this. Zechariah is a priest. He's in the priestly line. He is married to Elizabeth, a descendant of Aaron. Aaron was the high priest, the first high priest ever appointed, and the brother of Moses and the high priest for the nation of Israel. They were both well along in years, and Elizabeth had been barren. In other words, she couldn't have. If you are a person who has had miscarriage after miscarriage, you have struggled, you have, 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 have struggled with the infertility issue, guess what? Elizabeth understood. As a matter of fact, there's a point when she finds out she's pregnant and says she never even went outside. It's like she didn't want people to know at the time. So there had been some issues, there had been some problems, but God works in mysterious and magnificent ways. See, Zechariah questions him, and is made silent, but yet Mary just asks a question, and she's not made silent, why not? Because Zechariah demanded proof. Zechariah was asking for a sign, and Mary just said, hey, 
don't take this wrong. I haven't done anything. How can I be pregnant? And so God gives the sign to Mary. That that sign's going to be that the Holy Spirit is going to overcome you. And here's the beauty of the picture, all right? In the beginning, God created, right? God spoke everything into existence, but God forms and fashions man. So God has the supernatural, miraculous power, the mysterious way to do whatever he wants to with creation, right? I mean, if he spoke everything else into existence, he could do whatever he wants. If he forms and fashions man, he can still do whatever he wants. And it says the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary and supernaturally, miraculously, mysteriously has her pregnant. If God is the creator of everything that is good and righteous, everything that we see on earth, think about this. Is it not possible that God could simply just say, hey, you're pregnant? Yes, it is. So God does what is impossible with man. As a matter of fact, science today would say there's no way that could ever happen. Look, I understand science. Science is based upon proof. God doesn't have to prove anything. God can do whatever he wants. As a matter of fact, the quicker you understand that, the quicker we all understand that and put that into our mind, that God can do what he wants, how he wants, then you begin to understand that there are things that you're just not going to understand. There are things that you're going to sit back and go, well, that's, that's impossible. Yeah, but with God, all things are possible. See, God works in mysterious and magnificent ways. John, his son, Zachariah's son, is to prepare the way for the Messiah. He will go before the Lord. And I love the beauty of what takes place after Jesus is born. John the Baptist is out. He's baptizing people. He's telling people about the good news of the Messiah. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. And he's talking about there's going to be this man whose thongs I will not even be worthy to carry. And Jesus shows up. And guess who gets to baptize? Jesus. John. The one who would baptize Jesus out of obedience to what God had called him to do. And I love how these stories parallel because Zechariah, he was looking for a sign. He wanted a sign. Mary was just asking the question from the standpoint of how is that going to happen because that's near impossible. Galilee, remember, was not a respected region and the humble settings of Jesus' birth not only revealed the nature of God's plan but also the character of God's heart. God didn't look for the biggest king, the, the most rich person, the person who was going to have the most influence. You know, I've, I've said over and over and over again, sometimes I would always pray when I was growing up, God, make me a baseball player so I can reach more people with the gospel for you. Well, he didn't do that. I never made it to the majors, never made it past college. And sometimes you're like, man, think about how much more influence you can have. Matter of fact, Carson Wentz, I read a great article this, this past week about Carson Wentz, quarterback for Philadelphia Eagles, um, and how he is using, uh, he's, he's leading Bible study, second year player in the NFL. He's leading the Bible study in the Philadelphia Eagles locker room. He, he's, he's going out. He's sharing the faith. People are coming to Christ through it. And it, it's just an awesome opportunity. But I want you to think about it, that God works in mysterious and magnificent ways. And he still wants to do the same thing in your life. He can work in mysterious and magnificent ways. He can help you overcome addictions. He can help you overcome pain and heartache. He overcomes the sin in your life. He does all of those things through it. So God works in mysterious ways. So we gotta remember that God works to make what is impossible with man only possible with God. Number two, God works miraculously in people's lives. 
That's something you have to begin to see over and over and over again. We look to the negative, do we not? I, I mean, I, I do. I tend to look right toward the negative aspects. I'm like, oh, negative, 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 negative. God works miraculously in people's lives. What we don't focus on is what God does in our lives, what God has blessed us with. You know, we, we, we talk about Thanksgiving, but honestly, how often are we really thankful for what we have? How often do we really celebrate everything that God has already given us? God works miraculously in people's lives, and yet how often do we go, well, God, why are you not showing up? When God's already at work, he's probably at work behind the scenes. He's probably doing more than you've ever given him credit for. God works miraculously, and that's exactly what we see with the birth of Jesus. That's exactly what we see with the birth of Jesus being foretold in verses 26 to 33. See, Mary had been chosen to bear the Savior of the world. Can you imagine the weight of that, ladies? Could you imagine being young? Let's just say that. Mary was over 12, but we don't know for sure her exact age, but very young. Could you imagine being 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and an angel showing up and be like, you're going to bear the Savior of the world. Let me pass out. Let me die. <laughs> when I wake back up, I'll, I'll, I'll check back in with you and make sure that you just said what you said was true. I mean, could you imagine those words ringing out of your ears, resonating on your heart? Hey, guess what? I know you haven't slept with anybody yet. I know you're betrothed. I know you're set apart for Joseph, but you're going to bear a child. What? I, what? Huh? I haven't done anything. I'm a virgin. Yeah, you're still going to bear a child. And here's how. See, God can work miraculously in people's lives, and he continues to do it, but we have to begin to understand that she, this Mary, that she is going to bring about Jesus. Listen to what it says again. Look at it. Verse 27. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. All right? Now, you got to think about that. Betrothed. That means they're set apart. It's literally the idea that they were almost married. All right? They weren't, but they were considered married. Okay? And here's how it would work. Usually, they were betrothed for a year, and then after a year, then they got married, and then they were husband and wife. They never did anything during the the the, the the engagement period or whatever you want to call it, the betrothal period, all right? They never did anything physical or anything like that, but the, bro or the groom had already paid the price for the bride to the family. So by law, legally, they were together. Not to be broke apart, they were together. They hadn't consummated or anything like that, but they were together. They wouldn't live together, but they were considered to be a couple. And yet, Here's what happens. They're betrothed to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. So when we get the lineage of David through the line of Jesus, you have to understand that that lineage of David comes through the father's side, even though the father is not the physical father of the son. You guys get that, right? Let me confuse you a little bit more. Okay? Supernatural thing. He's got an earthly father, David. Uh, sorry, Joseph, who's in the lineage of David. But the virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, greetings you who are what? Highly favored. Mary had sought favor, her, had gained favor in God because of her righteousness, because of what she had. See, Jesus had a special relationship with God as a representative of the divine promise on earth, and Mary is going to bear Jesus. She's going to bear this son. 
And I love what takes place. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid for you have found favor with God. And, and, and listen to verses 31. You will be with child. Parents, remember the first time you were told you were gonna have a son or a daughter. Hey, guess what? You're pregnant. You will be with child and you will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus. For he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. If you like to highlight or underline, if you read the gospel of Luke, you'll hear that phrase consistently throughout the gospel of Luke. He's saying he's the son of the most high God. Over and over and over again, Luke is trying to communicate a picture of the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And I love how it talks about the kingdom and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. The very truth that Mary and Joseph have been taught from the beginning of the the prophecies of the kingdom of God coming about, the saving of Israel and everything is coming to play and Mary now realizes, holy smokes, I'm the one. I've been chosen. I have found favor with God. I'm going to bear a son supernaturally. And you have to think about the ridicule that she would face. You would have to think about the torment and the torture that she would overcome. See, Mary, being a virgin, being pledged to Joseph, would have been in a binding agreement. We already said that. But she is highly favored, and she receives God's grace on the basis of his sovereign action. So we might expect things or great things from God and anticipate that he will work through the great people in our society. But listen, God shows his greatness by working with anyone on the street who's willing to be used by him. And that's the beauty of what happens in Mary's life. Mary could have said, no way, over my dead body. But Mary, because I believe she was righteous, she was in a right standing with God, because she was highly favored, has the desire to be obedient to what God has called her to do. She could have fought, but she didn't. And so God works miraculously in people's lives. And she is honored by God, not because of her own merit or because of anything she has done, but simply because she is a chosen vessel for the demonstration of God's grace. Do you get that picture? Every person in here who has put their faith and trust in Christ is a chosen vessel used for God's grace, to demonstrate God's grace to everybody else. And so God works miraculously in people's lives. And that miraculous thing may have been that very simple thing that you got to experience when you came to Christ. So God works to make what is impossible with man only possible with God. So how does God work? Number three, listen to this. God works by sending the Messiah supernaturally. Look, I know we've covered this, but I think we have to understand what takes place. Do you guys realize how significant the virgin birth is, right? Like why it had to be a virgin, why Mary needed to be a virgin. You guys understand that? I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay it out if you don't. See, the virgin birth is significant, all right? It's one of the non-negotiable doctrines of the church. It's a non-negotiable. In other words, it shows a special divine involvement with Jesus from the start. It also, listen, reasserts the fundamental power of God to reshape life. 
The virgin birth is one of the primary doctrines that the church has to understand, has to follow, has to hold to. If you don't follow it, if you don't hold to it, then everything else is gone because you've now nullified the very magnificence of what God, the mystery and the magnificence of what God has done in this. See, the virgin birth is important because the sin nature is passed down through who? Does anybody know? Adam, man. Matter of fact, if you want to go and you can read in your Bibles in Romans, uh, in, in Romans chapter 5, in Romans 7, in Hebrews chapter 7, you see consistently that the sin nature is passed down through man. Here's the problem, or here's the beauty, I should say. Because Mary is supernaturally impregnated through the power of the Holy Spirit, there is no man involved. So therefore, as a result of that, the sin nature then is not carried on. And that is how we can sit back and say that Jesus was 100% God and yet 100% man. It is a supernatural occurrence that when you take away the virgin birth, now becomes the line that Jesus had the possibility to sin. Jesus most likely could have sinned. Like if you watch the History Channel or National Geographic and things like that when they go into that. But the truth of the matter is, when you hold to the virgin birth, when you follow what God's word says, the sin nature can no longer be passed down. So the Davidic line, listen, comes through Joseph. You get that big picture? The Davidic line comes through Joseph, but the sin nature comes through, or the non-sin nature comes through who? The Holy Spirit. And Mary, because Mary did not pass that along. If you go consistently through and read through scripture, you'll see it over and over and over again. Sin nature is passed down through man. Now all the women are going, woohoo! Because man, I was like, well, if the woman wouldn't eat from the apple, we wouldn't have been a problem. While that may be true, you can't deny the New Testament. And the sin nature comes through you. So as much as it pains me to say this, every time I go, woman, joking with my wife, that's your son. All she'd really have to say is, yep, and guess what? The sin nature came down from you. <laughs> All right? So God works by sending the Messiah supernaturally. So denying a physical connection between Mary and Jesus would imply that Jesus was not truly human. But scripture teaches that Jesus was fully human with a physical body just like ours. Matter of fact, Hebrew says he was tempted in every way just like we were, but yet was without sin. This he received from Mary, but at the same time, Jesus was fully God with an eternal and sinless nature that he received from the Holy Spirit. But Jesus was not born in sin. That is, he had no sin nature. Look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. It would seem that the sin nature is passed down from generation to generation through the Father. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, verse 17, and verse 19. So the virgin birth bypasses the transmission of the sin nature and allows the eternal God to become a perfect man. Do you get that big picture now? Did I just blow your mind? Were you able to keep up? Because that is the importance we have to begin to understand. And as a result of that, as a result of the miraculous work of God, as a result of God sending the Messiah supernaturally, now nothing is impossible. Because Jesus, the God-man, incarnate, God incarnate in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, now is 100% God and yet at the same time 100% man. Tempted in every way, 
tried in every way, yet there was no sin in him. So while we sit back and we look and we go, Christmas impossible, what God is saying is Christmas is possible. When we celebrate it right, we begin to understand that nothing is impossible because we have a God who delights in, listen, impossibilities. We serve a God, we love a God, we follow a God, and we worship a God who delights in the impossible. Think about that. He loves to show off the possibilities that you can accomplish in him and through him when you would sit back and go, that's impossible. What's impossible would be you and I to have a righteous relationship with God apart from Jesus Christ. That's impossible. What's impossible is to have any sort of payment for your sin that would be worthy apart from Jesus Christ. What's impossible is to have any sort of forgiveness of sins apart from Jesus Christ. That's the importance of the virgin birth. That's the importance of Jesus being born the way he was. So here's the next question I want to ask. If God takes what is impossible with man and makes it possible for his glory and his story, what are we to do? Number one, I believe, is this, to trust God for the impossible. In other words, do you put your faith and trust or have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ first and foremost? See, the entire story of the birth shows us how God is completing his promises and nothing is impossible with God. Think about this. All of this is wrapped up or all of this is the culmination or the climax of every prophecy that goes on in the Old Testament. Jesus being born to the virgin, like we see in Isaiah, where it says he was gonna be born to a virgin. Jesus being born 100% God, 100% man, God with us, all right, like we see in Isaiah, Jesus being born is a fulfillment of over 300 Old Testament prophecies. And I could get up here and maybe I should show that video again. I don't know if I will. There was a great video. It's like an old schoolhouse rock video talking about the, the numbers, the possibilities of, of one, of, of just 10, sorry, 10 prophecies being, being fulfilled by one individual. And yet Jesus fulfilled over 300 27 prophecies. And so what do we do? What are we to do? We're supposed to trust God for the impossible. Why? Because God will accomplish his promises since nothing is impossible for him. If God promised it, he's going to accomplish it. Number two, Mary being chosen should lead us to understand of how to trust God for the impossible. Mary shows us how to trust God for the impossible. Why? Because she just said, hey, if, if that's your will, matter of fact, if you jump down in verse 38, listen to what she says. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left. Mary showed her trust by her answer. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. So we have to trust God for the impossible. Why? Because the virgin birth is impossible, but not with God. I mean, the reality, think about this. Could you imagine your 12, 13-year-old daughter coming in? I'm pregnant. Wait, what? Yeah, but I haven't slept with you, my mom. No, wait, no, no, that's not possible. Scientifically, it's not possible. What would you do as a parent? I mean, in today's world, it's like, no, it's impossible. It can't happen. You don't just supernaturally become pregnant. I mean, that would be my response. Are you kidding me? Don't lie to me. I know who's the boy. I'm going to beat him up. 
No, better yet, I might kill him. I'm going to take him out in the backwoods. We're going to have a, you know, I mean, you get the picture, right? But no, trusting God for the impossible, because that's exactly, see, the difference is looking at God as merely a spectator in creation or looking at God as the creating one who has all authority over all creation. So I have to begin to trust God for the possibilities because our response to the truth of the virgin birth suggests our worldview about God. And we have to begin to understand that. Number two, what are we to do? We're to love and follow God as a servant. And that's exactly what Mary says. I am the Lord's servant. Whatever that means, whatever you want to do with me, God, here I am, ready, open, willing, use me. Whatever that looks like. So we must be responsive to God's leading in our lives, even when it seems like he's saying or what he's saying is impossible. God, are you kidding me? That's impossible. I can't do that. Why would you ask me to do that? See, being responsive, being obedient, being faithful meant that Zechariah was demanding proof. But Mary being faithful, Mary being obedient, and asked how the promise was to come true in light of the impossibilities. Okay, God, that that sounds awfully impossible because I know my situation. But whatever you say, I'm your servant. And if that's what it means, then that's where I'm going. I'll follow you no matter the cost. And that's what Mary lays out. And that's what we begin to understand. See, Mary's response reveals her character. When the angel tells Mary the divine power, not human actions, will bring about his birth, listen to what she says. Let it be as you have said. May it be to me as you have said. And the question is this. I want to ask you this. Do you look at God and the impossibilities that you face Are you thankful for the fact that he overcame impossibilities you would never be able to overcome on your own? And are you willing to say, let it be to me as you have said, God, I will follow you no matter the cost because that is exactly what he's calling us to do. Why? Because nothing is impossible with God. Focus on that verse. Wrap up with that verse. Listen to that verse in verse 37 again. For nothing is impossible with God. He can accomplish, he can do, he can create. And I want to wrap up with this. This Christmas, as we celebrate the giving season, let's celebrate with great hope and faith. Let's stand in awe of the impossible nature behind the birth of Jesus Christ. And let's worship with, listen, certainty, knowing that God did the impossible to show his love for the unlovable and to pay the price to secure salvation is the greatest gift ever given to mankind. That's the reality of what we celebrate. That's the truth of the virgin birth. That's the response that we have, that God, let it be as you have said. God, challenge me. Let me trust you. Let me follow you. Let me serve you. And may it be as you have said for me, that I would walk obediently regardless of the cost.